All right. It is good to see everyone here on June. Yeah, it's that time of vacations and other things, and, but man, it's good to see a, uh, man, more of a full house than we've had in some time, and so that's so good. I praise God for that. So good to see, see you on Sunday morning. I love, love that opportunity. The, uh, the series that we started last week I introduced to you is that series called What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, again, answering that question, well, how is it that we could love unconditionally? God does it, and we're called to do it, but how do we do that? Uh, one of the books that I've been reading, or that I have read, I, I should say in preparation for this, is a book called Messy Grace. Messy Grace. And uh, what's unique about the book is the author is named Caleb Kaltenbach, or Bach, however, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing that correctly. If you want to know more about the book, please let me know. I would love for you to read it. Uh, just a, a great book. Uh, Caleb's story is this. He is a preacher, and he's a rather good preacher. Came from the same college that I went to, lived in Kansas City, and he was raised by lesbian parents. Uh, actually, what happened in his life that his, his mother and father divorced early on, he stayed with his mom who then came into a, what you, that, that, that relationship with another woman, you know, life partner, and, and grew up in, in that situation. His dad, later on, he found out too, uh, had, was gay. I don't think he entered into another relationship, but uh, his story goes on. You, could you imagine? Can you imagine uh, what it would be like going to a gay pride parade, participating in a gay pride parade in Kansas City, and, and being, uh, being greeted by Westboro Baptist Church with their signs of God hates you know, gays, and God, God hates, and, and, and the pronouncement of condemnation upon them. Uh, matter of fact, it's, it's from Caleb Kaltenbach, who later came to know Jesus, even because his mom, understandably so, hated Christians. He too hated Christians, and in, in some way had found that Christianity is good. Matter of fact, the story, I should tell you the, some more of the story. Actually, he went to church as a young man with the idea of calling out their hypocrisy. He wanted to call out their hypocrisy, but somehow the church he ended up getting in, connected in Bible studies and became familiar with accepted him, loved him, even knew his story and accepted him. So there was something different there. And in... Uh, in his book, he had one of his titles, which I entitled my sermon today, Us Versus Them. And, and it came out of this idea that, that we cannot have the idea within the church that it's us against everybody who's not in church today. It, it's not us versus those who don't know God. And, and in some ways, I, through what he had seen, and I, I think I've seen it too, that we believe that even from the church that there's a division, that, that we are people of God, we are righteous, and, and there are those sinners of the world who are apart from God, and that's them, us versus them. We, we kind of went through it last week, didn't we? In, in the verses that I, I discussed, if you weren't with us, we talked about James and John, who, who talking to Jesus said, 
after this village in Samaria had rejected him, James and John said, shouldn't we just call down fire from heaven on these Samaritans? No, James and John had the us versus them perspective. Jonah did too, also from last week. You know, Jonah, God said, hey, I want you to go to preach to Nineveh. No way. Jonah didn't, and Jonah disrespected God, ran the other direction. Jonah also had no love for God's mercy. Isn't that funny? That, that's even hard to say. Jonah had no love for God's mercy. We love God's mercy. Where would we be? We wouldn't be worshiping today if it weren't for God's mercy. Am I right? Absolutely. Why are you here if God has no mercy? He doesn't love you. All you have to look forward to is condemnation. Therefore, enjoy your life as much as you can because later you're going to face God. But no, what we know of is God's mercy. We know it through Jesus. Woo, what a story. Today I've chosen a passage, John chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Because here is the same scenario. Us versus them. And it is the righteous versus the unrighteous. The the forgiven versus the the sinful and unforgiven. And, And we see it in this passage. John 8, 1 through 11. If you open your Bibles, here's what you will read. Either noted or identified uh, clearly is this. It'll say, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have these verses. Matter of fact, it's found uh, in, in different locations, these manuscripts. Also found in Luke. And so, I, I will be honest with you. I have never preached on, on John 8, 1 through 11. Never have touched with it because there are question marks because of that statement. Because there's some, of the, the, probably the most uh, important manuscripts don't have it located. There are other lo- manuscripts located. And there's, we're talking lots of manuscripts that do have this passage uh, that's located, like I said, in various, like it didn't have a home. It's located in various places in Luke and, and here in John and another location in John. Like, like it's a story without a home. So you can kind of understand why I've always avoided it. It, it doesn't affect the gospel message we have, the, one, the passages that we're certain about. So I've been comfortable uh, stepping away. Here's why I'm going to preach, preach it to you this morning. As I studied and, and read a little bit more of the thought behind this passage one of the, the reasons that it's, it's a floater, that, that it, it seems to be, well, either here, Luke or John, but that it e- even made it to the Scripture was, it was significant enough in manuscripts that they went, went ahead, but they were going to identify it. But one of the reasons they think that it was removed or that it wasn't considered for some is because of its content. What, what we're about to read is a woman who is caught in adultery. A woman who is caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. And, and, and the way Jesus deals with this situation was difficult for many to swallow. And, and, and the thought is, there were some who, who thought, well, man, that mercy is so easy. That, that and for some, some reason, there, there are some who believe that it was, it was difficult to make in the manuscripts that, that it was left out. Here, here's the place that I come to. I read through this. I read through this story. I see Jesus. 
You see, I, I don't have any trouble with the actions of Jesus in this passage for what we read in the rest of the Gospels. This passage reflects Jesus. The way he forgave, the way he approached people. It was never in condemnation. It was always, matter of fact, in the way he handles this today. Let's read this passage as we go through this morning. Here it is, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. That's the situation that sets it up, which really aligns itself with what Luke says. He often finds himself at the end of the day going to the Mount of Olives or in the, in the area where there is a city. Uh, I think it's Bethany that's right there. And, and then he returns in the morning to the temple courts to do again teaching, to go back and teach. So it very much aligns with what Luke said within his passages. Verse 3, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a, a, a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Then they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Jesus' response, or her response was this. No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I ask you, does that sound like Jesus? The one you know of the Gospels? Does that not sound like Jesus? I think it, 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 it fits. There's no, uh, no contradiction in this story. Therefore, I want to use it this morning for this purpose. I, I, I believe there is, throughout the Gospels and in this story, a message for us to, to embrace. And it's this, that, that ungodly people, people who do ungodly things, are not our enemy. Just that simple. Ungodly people who do ungodly things, they are not our enemy. They're not who we are fighting against. They're not our battle. And I want to start with some truths this morning. Uh, and, and I want to start a very simple one that, that, man, I think I've said numerous times, but maybe have not spent a lot of time opening up, and let's discuss it further. And that is this, that the world that we live in continues in sinfulness. That's, that's not one of those, boom, wow, what a moment, that statement. But we all know that statement, right? That, that as, as, as Christ has received us, and, and we're pursuing a life that good, that's going to resemble the Savior who died for our, uh, died for our sinfulness, died for our lives, that, that uh, we now live and pursue the holiness of God. And yet, in the meantime, we continue to live in a world of sinfulness all around us. And that, that's very much a, a statement I think we've always embraced. I want to spend a little bit more time with that. 
Because at the same time this last year, we're looking around saying, what's going on? What's going on even in our country? Uh, what, what, what are the things and, and such, a, such a division, such anger that's going on? I believe it comes from this. Uh, matter of fact, I, I think that our Supreme Court has had difficulty defining what freedom is. That there's not this one declarative state, statement that comes from our nation that says, here's what freedom is. Or if it is, uh, there, there's actually a couple of statements that I've looked back uh, in reading some other books. I, I, I delved and, and, and found more information. For instance, this is what we might be familiar with. This is a statement that we might embrace. It comes from Justice William, William Doug, Douglas. This came in 1962. He said, we are a religious people, uh, we, are a religious, uh, we are a religious people whose institutions presuppose a supreme being, right? In 1962, he looked back and said, man, the, the things we have, monuments and other things, pretty much show that, that we, are, we are a nation that believes that there is a supreme being, correct? Uh, and, and, and that's what he said. He goes on to say, when the state encourages religious instruction or cooperates with religious authorities by adjusting the schedule of public events to sectarian needs, it follows the best of our traditions, 1962. And, and what I read further concerning that statement is that it was debated. It was, it was actually criticized. And, and it, there's even some, some uh, thought that supposedly this Justice Douglas was sorry that he even said it. 1962. Years later. In, in the heat of the decisions on abortion, uh, Justice uh, Kennedy, an opinion of freedom that, that he wrote in a statement was this. And in its context, he, he wrote, our law affords constitutional protection, constitutional protection to personal decisions relating to marriage, procreation, contraception, family relationships, child, child rearing, and education. All the like, man, that's what constitution, constitutional protection is. That's, that's what the law is for, to protect those people with those decisions. He later says, the heart of liberty is, def is to define one's own concept of existence. Let me read that again. The heart of liberty is to, is to define one's own concept of existence, of the meaning of the universe. And, and there's other words around there, but... The, the thought is what we see happening in our nation, even in the thought of establishing our laws, is one time there was definitely the thought and conversation of God was present in our Supreme Court, in the making of our laws. God was present, part of the discussion, here's the direction we're going to go in. But I believe today more so than ever that God is taken away from that. The, the thought is protecting, here it is, protecting people's right and freedom to believe what they're going to believe, to, to establish their purpose, to establish their meaning, whatever direction they choose. As you come this morning, many of you have chosen to say, God is. God is. And his word is significant to us, and it gives direction and purpose for our life. Guess how we live? According to the word. According to the nation, no. According to the nation, no. And, and matter of fact, here's, here's what happens. That as the world around us looks, uh, for us, the existence of God is, is actually a threat. 
to, to the rest of our nation. Those of the world see Christianity as, as an enemy of freedom, of their freedom. Uh, let's, let's talk about it. Just a couple of, couple of issues, or, or maybe two or three anyway. Abortion. We're, we're going to hold that all life is sacred. Uh, absolutely, foundationally, we believe according to the word, not according to the nation, that all life is sacred. And the killing of babies is wrong. In the womb, out of the womb. Killing of the babies is wrong. We believe in God. He created. How can we? We can't be a part of that. And so our voice is going to, to be against that. Uh, when it comes to gay marriage, yeah, we believe that that's not part of God's design. It's not part of, of what, what he has created. And, and that, no, it, it's not something we can align ourselves and say that this is right, this is true. This is not righteous. And so, again, we find ourselves maybe even being called intolerant, right? We, we've, we, take, we have to take ownership of the fact, yeah. I, I would say clearly that God is intolerant of sin. You with me? God is a righteous and holy God. He is intolerant of sin. And there are going to be some things that's happening in our nation now and pre- protected by the freedoms that we have that are going to be looked at and, and we're going to be intolerant of. You know, it, and, and that it's not something that we will agree with. The idea that, that choosing gender is something we could do. I mean, there's other directions that we see happening today. And it's frustrating. And, and so there is definitely a conflict. A definite conflict. If we define our freedom as God created. And, and our freedom comes because we love God, man, our, with our freedom, we want to be observant and, and pursue the righteousness that's laid out in the scriptures. But the rest of the world, I mean, even our society, that, that is not making, that's not the grounds for making disciples or, or, or decisions, excuse me. And it's going to cause, for, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. When we say, listen, a society around us uh, continues to be sinful, yeah, we just have to understand it, know it. Why would we be surprised that we're having such difficulties? And I would even say that difficulties are going to continue and and continue to come. And I I believe that God is not absent from this. As soon as we see it, man, we think, well, well, God's not in control. I I believe God very much is in control. I don't think it's ever out of his, his control. I don't believe it's ever out of his control. But we're called... So what's our responsibility? We're called to live in this world. Coming to Jesus, coming to under a new understanding of freedom and learning to live that? Absolutely. But again, comes that question, but how do we live with the rest of this world? How do we live with the rest of this world? The world that will call us religious bigots. Intolerant. And, and that's who we are. That's who we're being called today. In light of that truth, that the world is full of sinfulness, then how do we live? And, and looking back at this story, I, I want to tell you, here's the first, first thing I want us to know from, from this passage. We cannot hurl stones at the offenders. It's, it's not our place. I, I think Jesus made it very clear, it's not your place to hurl stones. It is not for us to hurl stones at the offenders. We cannot act as the enemy. They might see us as the enemy. We cannot act as the enemy. Yeah, we're going to be treated as, well, called names and, and, and tensions are going to be between us. 
We cannot act as the enemy. Um, now, now, we can't act like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law within this passage acted. You know, they, they came to Jesus they, with the intention of trapping him. I want you to understand what they were thinking in their minds. See, Jesus, by this time, I think they already know Jesus pretty well. He's already found himself at, at the table of sinners, of tax collectors and, and, and sinners in the community. Hey, he's had uh, a, a prostitute weep over his feet and, and wipe it with her hair. I mean, he allowed her to touch him. And, and so Jesus doesn't seem to have this sense of, of righteousness and, and a sense of, of loving the law. So they bring someone that they catch in adultery before Jesus. And they say, here's what Moses says. Here's what we're supposed to do. What are you going to do about it? Don't you agree? And they know, they know Jesus is not going to be honoring of Moses' law in this. They just, they just know it. And therefore, they'll be able to throw condemnation that he is disregarding Moses' word. But Jesus bends down, I don't, I, and I, I'm not going to speculate as to what he's writing in the dirt. I know there's, there's some fascinating thoughts. But, but what he does say is, okay, he said, okay, the one of you without sin, you cast the first stone. And just think with me for a moment what he's saying to them and why that they would leave instead of picking up stones and beginning to stone her. Why wasn't anyone there able to cast that first stone? Because they knew sinfulness. They knew that not one of them, they knew that there was, you know, things that they had to confess and, and, and perform their sacrifices for. But, but matter of fact, these guys who were living and protecting the righteousness of God by coming about and, and projecting condemnation, guess what it would do? Only condemn themselves. Not just this person who was caught in adultery. They were crying out and they were bringing condemnation upon themselves. Because guess what? I deserve some stones in my life. There's places in my life, and I know that these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they deserve stones thrown at them in their lives. Guess the, and of course, the only one who had the ability to throw stones was the one they asked the question to. Actually, Jesus would have been the only one who, who, who would righteously be able to throw a stone at her. But that's not why Jesus came, Right? That's absolutely why Jesus came, is because he didn't come for condemnation. He came for salvation. He came not to condemn, but to bring and make sure that the mercy of God. His response after, after they all left was that. He said, where, where are those who con condemn you? Where are they? And, and she said, well, they're gone. <laughs> They've left? He said, neither do I. I, I don't condemn you either. And he said, go sin no more. I mean, there is a part of the message we still hold. We're, we're not letting go. And maybe this is the tension in this, this passage and why they had a hard time. Uh, we don't let go of the holiness and righteousness of God. It is our pursuit. But, it, but we, at the same time, have to be people of his mercy and grace. We have to continue to be people of his mercy and grace. So how do we approach people in this world? 
I, I bring it up, and this actually comes from Caleb Kaltenbach. The, the, fourth, the third point I have here, this was actually in that chapter entitled Us Versus Them. He said, the sinful are not our enemy, they are our mission. Sometimes you say something, it just needs to soak in. The sinful are not our enemy, they are our mission. Oh man, if we could, if we could just swallow that today. If we could just embrace what Jesus came to do. I mean, let's, let's just face it. Jesus came into a world of enemies, didn't he? Of unrighteousness, of, of what I would consider unsavable people, <laughs> which would include me. And he came into a world that was absolutely contrary everything about God. Contrary to God. And he went to the cross to pay that price. In order for us then to start clean and new and begin into a right relationship with God. And as we're here and as we realize that, we need to see those out here are not our enemy. Those people who were frustrated, those who were hurling maybe names at us, calling us intolerant or religious bigots or, or, or hurling stones at us. Our response, they're not our enemy. They're our mission. Oh, man. That statement alone is something that we as a church need to embrace. That changes perspectives. Uh, to change a heart that has difficulty with it, right? That says, listen, we are to love unconditionally. That includes the people that Jesus came to die for. That goes to the sinful that, that might uh, have, have it out for us. Uh, G, uh, Paul, let me, let me continue on with what Paul said. Man, he embraced this as well. Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 12. If you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, that's that chapter where he talks about, hey, put on that full armor of God. And that full armor has, has a breastplate of righteousness. Boy, it's, it, it's covered, it's protected. Uh, uh, it has a helmet and a shield and a sword. And, and so within the context of, of uh, Paul talking about this armor that we as believers are putting on, it's important that we listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, our battle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against, it is not against those who commit adultery. It's not against those who are LGBT community people. Uh, it's not abortionist. It is not people who want to change society according to ungodliness. It is, it is not against flesh and blood. It is against, listen carefully, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, you know, I was, I was asked... Uh, a couple of times that well when it talks about rulers and authorities is that government is that you know is that is that our president is that the governor is that the mayor is that is that political people no it made it very clear not against flesh and blood but but there are forces of darkness all around us guess what forces of darkness that i know deception rules with them that's one of their tactics deception 
We can definitely see the world around us is deceived to believe that God does not exist. Oh, he lives. He lives. Oh, man, he lives. And you believe he lives. You're here to worship him. You're here maybe even in questions of, of finding out how we make that connection. He lives, and I believe there's, there's more truth than just being able to wake up in the morning and see the sunrise and think, well, there is a God who created. Man, he left his story for us. He let us know, and we're part of that story. We're part of that story. Oh, man, the stones that were held back for me, the things that I deserve, I didn't receive. I deserved. And yet Jesus came for reasons of mercy and for forgiveness. And it requires his forgiveness. And it requires, man, for those who receive it, oh, man, to love him and then to, and then to live a life that's going to reflect him. It's going to follow his word. That's the freedom that we're under. That's the freedom of the God that we serve. We have the freedom to love him and serve him in this life. We are called on a rescue mission. Isn't that right? That's our mission. We're not called into battle against flesh and blood, but we are called to a rescue mission on Jesus' behalf. And, and Jesus said it very well. His reason for coming is to seek and to save the lost. Uh, our enemy is not uh, the people who, uh, who are from the LGBT community. It's not from abortionists. It's not from uh, neighbors who vote differently than, than us or who might see th political things different than us. Our enemy is not of this world. It's not of the flesh and blood, but it is the forces of darkness. Let me go through this again. I think it's important to repeat. And again, understand what I mean when it says the world that we live in continues in sinfulness. Decisions are made by, hey, listen, we're going to fix this world, and it's very humanistic. We're going to take care of the problems. We're going to take care of racism. We're going to take care of all these things. And they're not doing it with the guidance of God at all. Isn't it pretty obvious? And at the same time, you know, when we embrace and love what we've received, we cannot hurl stones at those who are offenders. We cannot hurl stones at those who are sinful in this life. Even though we feel hatred, because I know that that happens, we cannot hurl stones. Instead, man, live off the love of Jesus, if anything. You know, you've received the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, live the love of Jesus. The sinful are not our enemy, they are our mission. Ungodly people of the world doing ungodly things, they are not our enemy. We're called to love and strategically, strategically go after them. To let them know that our God lives and he loves us. And there's mercy available to everyone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for this day. Lord, we just want to be honest that, that uh, li living your love and your grace and mercy is, is something we embrace and we love. And, and we love to hear that story and that message. And we run to it. But Father, when it comes to the conflicts we face in this world because of this continued sinfulness, Lord, man, that, that our own nature comes up and that, that sense of battle and, and Lord, sense of seeing people as our enemy is is probably where we're easiest drawn to. But 
But Father, when we understand our true place is under the forgiveness and mercy that you've given to us, that you were, uh, you were that Savior who spoke those words, neither do I condemn you. Lord, we want to live in that salvation, that forgiveness. And Lord, to be able to embrace that is, is not to be a stone thrower. It, it is absolutely to be the one who, who Lord, we don't, we're not able to forgive, but definitely we can share that message, that gospel message, your message of, of why you died and the salvation that you brought that's available to everyone, everyone who still has that opportunity to turn. Lord, we pray for them today. We pray for the lost. We pray for our mission. We pray, Lord, that you guide and strengthen our hearts to begin to lift them up before you and to, and to, to pray, Lord, for ways that we could uh, enter into their world and to, to speak to them the words of the gospel. Lord, not in any way, not in any way compromising the righteousness that we're called to. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray your strength in continuing to pursue your holiness. At the same time, Lord, delivering that message of your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.